Welcome to the Creative South Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. Today on the podcast, we're wrapping up our conversations with the team from Blind in the Future with Creative Director Matthew Encina. We chat about how his path from college kept intertwining with Chris Doe's, from studying under him at the Arts Center, to an internship and freelance work, to his current role as Creative Director, how he learned to properly manage a team and not micromanage people, the goals and future plans for the future, and much more, all right after this. I talk about Jack Prince on the podcast all the time, and today isn't any different, except that I want to talk about how much we rely on them at Creative South. Not only has Jack Prince been a longtime sponsor of Creative South and the podcast, but they help us with so many cool things every year. Whether they are making our pop-up displays and tablecloths, or printing our notebooks, Jack Prince is always there when we need them. They even printed my Creative South podcast stickers that have a coupon code on the back that gives you a great discount on all of their products. Speaking of stickers, Jack Prince will print any kind, shape, size, stock, including full color stickers with full color liner prints for you to use as product labels, promotions, bumper stickers, hang tags, business cards, and more. Right now, you can get 500 3 by 3 inch die-cut stickers starting at $149 when you visit jackprince.com. Plus, Jack Prince is giving Creative South Podcast listeners 15% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code PRINCESOUTH18 at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. At Creative South, we love Astute Graphics plugins. Astute Graphics have developed 16 popular and innovative plugins for Adobe Illustrator, leading the way in imaginative tools for vector designers that significantly save time, boost creativity, and achieve amazing results. Popular plugins include VectorScribe, Phantasm, Vector First Aid, Mirror Me, and more, all of which come with a free 14-day trial. Go ahead and give them a try. Astute Graphics currently have 25% off the full Elite Bundle, saving you over $200. Check out www.astutegraphics.com. When you search the web using Ecosia, they use the money generated from search ads to plant trees to help regenerate deforested lands around the world. As a matter of fact, Ecosia uses at least 80% of their profits to plant trees and have planted 20 million trees so far, with a goal of 1 billion trees by 2020. Visit ecosia.co slash creative south to plant your first tree today. If you like the Creative South podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every dollar helps us cover hosting costs, upgrade equipment, and keep the podcast going. With options starting at just $1 per month, you can help support the podcast and even wind up with some cool Creative South podcast swag. When you become a Creative South patron, you'll get access to exciting Creative South news before anyone else. A shout out on the podcast thanking you for your support. Creative South Podcast stickers and t-shirts. So, please help support the podcast by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash creative south. Matthew, thanks for joining me. Jason, thank you so much for bringing me on and inviting me to, to chat with you today. So so I got to laugh. This is take two for us because the first one uh, stopped recording after 20 seconds. So we're uh, we're reliving the first 10 minutes all over again. 
on our yeah, we're pre- <laughs> we're pretending like this is the first time, but it's totally not. So we, I'm just uh, gonna call it out because I think it's funny. <laughs> it is very funny. Hopefully, this one doesn't crap out this time, and we are good to go for the whole recording. Exactly. So so let let's walk through it again. Where did you grow up? I was born and raised in Los Angeles. Uh, I've grown up here my whole life. I've always wanted to leave for a short stint, but I've never come around to it. I've traveled a lot, but every time I travel, it makes me appreciate and love LA so much more. So it's really hard to leave my roots here. Sure. I understand. Well, and you've got family there still too. So you're, you know, all my family and friends are here. Yeah. It's really tough to to want to leave this. Yeah. So when you were growing up, what type of kid were you? Uh, Growing up, I was highly competitive, a little bit bratty and uh, surprisingly, I had siblings, you know, I I kind of feel like my personality is that of an only child, but it, it totally isn't. I just have that competitiveness and the brattiness of an only child. But I, you know, I, I, uh, I have a younger brother who's only a year and a half younger than me and a much younger sister who's 10 years younger than me. So I, uh, I, I could play with them, but also I boss them around all the time. And, uh, (laughs) I I think that's the type of kid I was. I was highly competitive and uh, a little bit bossy. (laughs) Gotcha. Were you an arty kid growing up? Uh, very much so. Very much so. I, I, you know, reflecting back on it, my parents and my extended family, they were incredibly supportive of, well, first of all, noticing that I had creativity in me and then nurturing and pouring so much back into me. So even as like a four or five year old, I would be doodling and, and copying uh, images from coloring books and comic books. And my parents and my, my family, what they would do is they bought me watercolor sets, pastel sets, pencils. Mm-hmm. They bought me comic books and anything that helped feed my creativity, they would they bought me. And I had a really massive Lego set, which was really great for constructing things with my hands and just, you know, organizing and building things that were completely from my imagination or things that I saw from TV. So that that's one kind of interesting thing with Legos is, you know, you, you can construct anything. And whenever I would watch movies or cartoons, I would love to recreate the things that I saw in there with my sure. Legos. So it, it's a very fun, modular way to get many toys out of one set. Yeah. Well, I mean, Legos are fun no matter what age you are, too. So you could still do that if you wanted. I'm, I'm definitely contemplating uh, the Millennium Falcon. I don't know how many pieces that is. I think it's like 3,000 or 5,000 pieces. Oh, you're and, talking uh, the $800 one? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That I, I'm, a, I'm a Star Wars geek, so that... At some point in my life, I'm going to purchase that one iteration of that. <laughs> What's your wife going to say when you purchase that? <laughs> oh, no, you know, she'd actually be into it. She'd be oh, into okay. it. I, I got her into Star Wars. She loves it. Like, she collects little things as well. We're both into arts, so uh, she would not be opposed to that. <laughs> gotcha. When, okay. when you were go- kind of backing up, when you were going through school, um, were you taking as many electives in art as you could? Yeah, absolutely. I was I was very fortunate because my uh, high school, uh, Mayfair High School, as I was transitioning into a ninth grader, they were piloting this program called the Academy of Art and Design. Mm-hmm. And what it was is it taught uh, traditional art skills as well as uh, digital art skills. So the um, Adobe Creative Suite, and 3D programs, animation, design, and uh 
and traditional arts, you know, shading, rendering, learning how to use different mediums. I was incredibly fortunate and that was a bulk of my high school. So it's just to give you some context, uh, we would have six periods of normal classes and sure. of those six, maybe like sometimes three, sometimes four of them were art related classes. So I got very lucky. <laughs> gotcha. When, when, was there a particular leaning that you had in the art classes that was things that you enjoyed more than others? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I went through this whole transition because, you know, before I got into high school, before I did anything digital, I loved just drawing with pencils. Sure. And, you know, pencils and, and, and traditional mediums. So I was going into that, loving that stuff. And once I got introduced to the computer, especially into 3D modeling, and 3D animation, I fell in love with that. And I think this was at the time, it was maybe like 99 or 2000, and the episode one and two was coming out from Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And I was just like in love with visual effects, computer-generated animation. Like I was in love with that stuff. A, a Toy Story had come out uh, a few years prior to that. So I was convinced like, oh, I'm going to be a 3D animator on a movie. So I started learning how to model, how to animate. And then we went on a studio tour uh, to one really big uh, animation house that was doing a lot of work on movies at the time. And I oh, was cool. in 10th grade. And I was very excited. I was like, yes, finally, I get to see behind the curtain what this is all about. And I get to see some sneak peek on, on, on what this is really like. So I got there. They took us into a theater room. They showed off their reel of work. And it was, it was amazing. Then I got to the area where all the 3D animators were working and I was shocked. It was <laughs> much less amazing, <laughs> much less amazing. And it was not what I expected at all. So what it was, it was this basement room. All the windows were blacked out. So there was no light in there, just fluorescent lights and desk lamps. Ugh. About a hundred computers and every single screen had the same frame on it. So it was a bunch of these artists. I don't know if they were rotoscoping or if they were animating like the hair on this animal because like it was it was for a movie where there was a lot of talking animals and they had to cg out the face mm -hmm. and replace it with uh, a talking face and all of them were working on the same frame or a very close frame and i looked all around it's like this is what it's like it's not glamorous at all and i just see all these guys and they look like they had been in there for for weeks and not seeing the light of day mm -hmm. and uh, that completely shattered my dreams and turned me off to uh, wanting to be an animator for feature films. I can see how it would. Uh, you know, a bunch of guys with circles <laughs> under their eyes that are sunken in and existing yes. off Mountain Dew is not a is, is not a it's pretty not sight. Ideal. Yeah, no, it, it, it's not. So that was tenth grade, and then as soon as I got back from that field trip, I changed my mind. It's like I love the digital arts. Uh, can I do something static instead? And I started looking into graphic design mm -hmm. and I didn't, I, I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what graphic design was. I just love putting together comps and uh, painting stuff in Photoshop and, and playing with a little bit of typography. Sure. I didn't really know that it could be a full on career, but I, 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 I switched gears to that and I stopped doing a bunch of 3d stuff. Gotcha. When, when you got out of high school, did you go to college or what, what did you do? 
Yeah, right out of uh, high school, I obviously was with a lot of high school friends that were into art as well. We were all part of the same pilot program, and uh, they all applied to Art Institute in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and I wanted to stick with what was comfortable, and so I followed them there. We all applied to Art Institute. We all got in, and for two years, I studied graphic design there, and I got my associate's degree. I could have finished my bachelor's, but you know, after two years, I wanted out. And the reason being is because I felt like I learned everything I could have at that point and I wasn't feeling challenged anymore. Mm -hmm. And it, luckily, a lot of my instructors there were all graduates and alumni of Art Center College of Design, which is in Pasadena. And it was, uh, at the time, I already knew that it was kind of like the Ivy League of art and design schools. And sure. it was so challenging. I didn't want to go there right after high school because it looked too intimidating. So... Anyways, I, at this point, I had matured a bit. I'd, I'd done a little bit of college and realized like, hey, I, I, I need to do a little bit more with my life. I need to feel like I'm challenged and engaged. Let me stop going to Art Institute. Let me apply to Art Center. Uh, so I took a few months off, worked on my portfolio, applied there, and then got in uh, spring 2005. Gotcha. And what, what, yeah. did, what did you focus on when you were there? Because they, ha they have specific, specific tracks. Did you do graphic yeah. design or did you do something else? I did do uh, graphic design. So from 2005 to 2007, I went there for my bachelor's in graphic design. But uh, even within graphic design, it kind of breaks up into different things like editorial design, uh, branding, packaging. The track that I chose and focused was motion design. So essentially, it's like I came back to animation somehow. <laughs> I was about <laughs> but to say. It was not, yeah, it, it's really weird how it happened. But I, I changed my mind about animation because I saw uh, that you could animate graphics for tv commercials so that was hot at the time mm -hmm. and and i saw that I, I luckily i got i bumped into the right people uh there was a lot of peers at school or people who were recently graduated that i was introduced to who were all in this field looked like they were having fun and combined something that i used to love with something that i did love now which was graphic design plus animation which is now motion design so right after i graduated college I started working on animation for TV commercials. Gotcha. How did how did you land that gig? How did you kind of get into that? Um, at the time, uh, they were already teaching some motion graphics classes because mm -hmm. they already knew that uh, years prior, people were graduating from graphic design and then going into uh, careers uh, that pioneers before us ha had set. One of those pioneers was an instructor at Art Center. His name is Chris Doe, who is the owner of Blind. He's my boss. <laughs> and he uh, he is uh, he was my instructor there. And he, he taught sequential design. And so he taught me how to storyboard, how to put together ideas um, over a sequence of images. So these are storyboards that would map out the different moments inside an animated piece. Okay. And that that was a breakthrough class for me like that really shaped a lot of the way I think about motion design and, and telling stories in general um, so much so that I took his class three times <laughs> <laughs> the same class I, I did, the same exact class because I found it so good that I wanted to keep practicing my skills and he was the best instructor I had at that school so it's like if I'm still going to get credits for it uh, I'm just going to keep taking his class as many times as I can because I'm going to get stellar 
pieces for my portfolio. And I feel like I'm just going to keep squeezing as much juice out of that guy's brain as possible. Gotcha. So, so yeah, I, I, uh, I got into it because of the influences I had there, as well as my peers. Like I mentioned, uh, some of the other students around me, they already knew what motion design was. They already knew that you can go into a career um, uh, in the com- TV commercial field, mm-hmm. which I had no clue about. But they all introduced it to me, and I loved it. It, it was highly competitive, so it scratched that little itch for me. Uh, and it was new, so I was like, oh, great, I get to dive into something new, and uh, it was very exciting at the time. So, you know, getting out of school 2007, it was there was more work than there was talent. So I was getting into this market at the right time. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it was it was it was wonderful. And, you know, I started off first uh, as an intern at Blind. I asked Chris in between the, the terms, in between the classes, like, hey, Chris, can I go intern for you? He's like, yeah, sure. Come on in. So I interned for him. Shortly after, I just started freelancing. And... Uh, yeah, I was freelancing for a couple of years. Part of those years, I was uh, I started my own business, mm-hmm. and th- I, I ran a motion studio from 2007 to part of 2009. Mm-hmm. It was called Born, like B O R N. And uh, again, in that period, there was more work than there was talent. Sure. So even while I was at Art Center, uh, clients were giving us work while we were in school. And we're just scrappy students Mm -hmm. because they needed somebody to do it. And all the big companies had turned it down because it wasn't enough money for them, but it was tons of money for us as students. Sure. So so they passed it along to us. We said yes. And eventually these jobs just kept landing in our laps. And me and my friends were like, dude, we should just start a studio. Let's do this ourselves. Uh, We were just incredibly foolish, very uh, egocentric, like coming out of school. It's like, yeah, we're hot shit. And uh, we have have all this work coming to us. Let's just start our own studio. And we made so many business mistakes. And then, of course, that was 2007. And then 2008 happened. And you know what happened in 2008. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The entire market crashed. The housing market crashed and that trickled down to every single industry. And what had happened in 2008 was we like, oh, okay, we're still okay. Like things got a little quiet, but we'll just keep working on cool stuff. And then going into 2009, it's like, oh, it's Things got real. a lot quieter. And- it's got a lot more quiet. And then all of a sudden, me and my friends, we realized like, okay, now work's not falling in our lap. How do we get work? And like all of the holes, all the gaps of everything we didn't know about business became very, very apparent and very painful. So for the the rest of 2008, going into 2009, it was very painful for us uh, as a business, uh, for me and my friends. And by the end of 2009, we all decided to call it quits, Mm -hmm. dissolve the company. But luckily... I was still able to go back and freelance and I actually went right back to freelancing at blind. Gotcha. So you're basically working as a contractor at that point. Um, yes. and I mean, I'm assuming blind wasn't your only client. You had some other freelance projects and things like that coming in that helped floated everything. Yeah, exactly. So after we dissolved our company and I went back to freelancing, it was a relief. It was it was nice because I was able to shed all the responsibilities of being a business owner sure. and just make make the work, do the creative and be told what to do. And there, there was a lot of uh, freedom in that. And I got paid really well as well. You know, like it, it was great living the freelance life for three, four years. And mm-hmm. I, I bounced around uh, to a lot of studios here in L.A. from 
blind to motion theory to Royale, Buck, Logan, like pretty much every major shop here in LA that was focusing on motion design, mm. I was able to work at. So that was really fun. It was great for me because I met so many people who are now part of this massive network that I tap into all the time. And uh, I learned so much in in that stint as a freelancer. Gotcha. Now, I got a question because you mentioned you're kind of like an only child, even though you have other siblings. And a lot yeah. there, there's two ways only children go. They're either really, ex, really extroverted or really uh-huh. introverted. Which version were you? Uh, very introverted. Very so, so introverted. This, you know, being a graphic designer, I kind of figured it might be that way. But <laughs> yes, um, very introverted. <laughs> so how are, how are you doing the soft skills of things of networking and not wearing yourself out with that as a freelancer? So at, you're talking about at the time. Yeah, at the, at the time. time. Like how did it? Well, I mean, the cool thing was I was working with just a bunch of other introverts. Okay. And so, you know, it's just like the the uncool art kids in high school. We were now the same as professionals. So we still got along, <laughs> you know, that they're, they're my tribe. They're my people. I like they're. I mean, of course, there were extroverted people that I worked with. But most of the people, they're all pretty chill, very easy to talk to. And because um, we're all wa- working on the same projects. We have to have a level of camaraderie in order to get a project done. So uh, luckily, I met so many friendly people along the way, so many people that were very uh, generous with their knowledge. So as I would work with these people, you know, I was generally a, a curious person. And, and um, so whenever I'd be sitting down next to somebody animating or designing something amazing, I would lean over and be like, whoa, Hey, how'd you do that? How did you do that liquid simulation? Or how did you animate that character that way? And then, you know, them feeling so flattered that I'm interested in what they're doing. They'd be like, oh yeah, let me show you. Just do this, this, and this. And it's like, that's what helped me grow. Mm -hmm. That's what helped me network. And and because I was curious about their work and curious about them as a person, I developed a lot of friendships like that. So a lot of uh, uh, the people I keep in touch with, my network, are people I sat next to and work with in the trenches for many, many years. Sure. So you weren't building acquaintances like a lot of people do at jobs. You were, you were actually building friendships, which kind of played into that introverted nature where you get comfortable with somebody and, and you open up and you're able to develop that relationship yeah. that way. Yeah, exactly. And because I was around those very friendly people, I think I absorbed a lot of, uh, a lot of traits that they had. So luckily when I first started working at blind, there was people who were super kind on my first day. Like, Hey, you want to come out to lunch? Mm -hmm. Uh, and I saw that. I was like, wow, like you're trying to make me part of the group. That's wonderful. I love that. Like, I feel like I'm family here. So ever since then, whenever I go work at any other place as a freelancer, uh, I would do the same thing. Like, even if I'm the new guy there, like, Hey, you want to go out to lunch and just like try and integrate myself with, with the family there. Mm -hmm. So at, at, at what point does it make less sense to you to be freelancing as a f- full-time gig and come on board with Blind as a full-time gig? Uh, it was around uh, 2011. So I'd been freelancing now for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and I think I was getting a little bored. I was going shop to shop pretty much as a mercenary doing the same thing. Sure. Like I, I was brought in to execute. I'll come in here and animate this thing. Come here and design this thing. I, For whatever reason, I didn't feel like I was making that huge of an 
impact. And I mm -hmm. wanted to have a little bit more say in the process of, of how we got there. So I felt like I was moving very horizontally in my career mm -hmm. as a freelancer and there's no way up. Luckily at that time, Chris was looking to bring some fresh talent into the studio because he's had a lot of uh, people that he'd been working for with, with over a decade now. He had a lot of uh, legacy and uh, older creative directors working here. And he's like, you know what? I need to bring some young blood in here. So he uh, reached out to me, asked me, hey, would you be interested in taking a creative director position? Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like that's the highest position I could have at the company outside of being the owner. Like, are you sure? Me? <laughs> but, I, you know, at this point, like I'd been working many years with Chris, you know, starting as his student to his intern freelancing at his company i think i had developed a lot of trust he saw something in me and i said hell yes let's do it let's do it i'm ready to move vertically in my career i'm ready for the next challenge and uh you know becoming a creative director was just that it was it was much much more different than being a freelance maker gotcha when you first came on board with blind would you say your relationship with chris was more mentor mentee than boss and employee yeah, absolutely. I, I think our relationship, even till this day, is that same thing. Mentor, mentee. It's like I, I um, the only reason why I'm still working here at Blind, and it's maybe I think seven years now, uh, 10 if you count all the freelance. Uh, the only reason why I'm still here is because I feel like I'm still growing every day. Gotcha. Chris is one of those guys where he's such a great leader. He learns something one day and then he'll teach it you to you the next and he's constantly learning he's an educator at heart mm. and um, it's the reason why he also started the second company in the future so for our entire relationship me and chris has always been like that as mentor mentee and i always feel like i'm learning stuff from him gotcha. so he pushes me and and he keeps me growing gotcha when you when you came on board as creative director what type of change was that for you you know professionally like Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So the biggest change was I was going from maker to manager. Mm -hmm. And those are two very different things. As maker, uh, you know, your, your time is spent usually like half days or full days concentrating on um, working on something and trying to uh, solve one particular task that your creative director or manager had assigned to you. Mm -hmm. As the manager, now you have to get three, four, five, sometimes 10 other people to do what you would do. So it became all about communication and soft skills because I couldn't do 10 people's jobs. I couldn't sit down at everybody's box and like make the thing. I had to learn how to direct people and give very clear direction. By the end of the day, by the end of the week, I need you to make X, Y, and Z. So that was the biggest hurdle that I had to overcome, which was learn how to communicate so that I get what I expected at the end of the project. Sure. Yeah. How did that process go for you? Were you, I mean, obviously I'm sure there were some stumbling blocks along the way, you know, oh, yeah. how did, how did you make yourself more comfortable with it? it? It, with time, time and practice. So the biggest thing is like, you know, I would try and explain something to an intern or to a designer and animator here. And then at the end of the day, I would check, and most of the time, especially in the early days, it was not what I expected. Sure. So what I would do is like, okay, you can go home, Sam. Like, that's great. And then as soon as he left, I would jump into his file and then fix all the things that I wanted to. <laughs> so I was working the extra hours because, you know, I needed to make that up. But after a while, that burnt me out. It's like, this, is, this doesn't make sense. Like, why am I doing their work? 
like this doesn't make sense. I need to, to work on my soft skills. I need to learn how to communicate better. So over time, well, I can, I can, cr- sorry to interrupt, but no, no, go ahead. I can go imagine ahead. that you're the people who were under you weren't real thrilled with that either. Cause that's, that's kind of micromanagey. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like, if you come in the next day and it's like, Whoa, this isn't the frame that I painted. This isn't what I designed. It's like, Oh yeah, I had to, I had to tweak it. Uh, you know, like that's, that sucks because it makes them feel like a little bit incompetent. Like, Oh, they didn't do their job properly. And it starts to cause friction. Well, I think, it, uh, and this is me speaking. If someone had done that to me, mm-hmm. It would make me feel like you didn't trust me to make the changes myself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All those things. But it was coming from the place that, hey, I don't want you to, from my perspective, like, hey, freelancer or hey, designer, I don't want you to stay over time because I didn't communicate properly. Sure. I, I, I'll do the work because that was my bad. I didn't communicate properly. So now we're here. You could go home at the regular time. I'll do the extra labor because... We just need to get there, and, and I don't want to force you to, to, to pay for my, <laughs> my mess-ups here. So, yeah, I, I can see how it could be perceived that way, but at the same time, it's like I w- it was coming from a good place. <laughs> yeah. What, what was the catalyst to make you realize that this isn't the right way to do it? Did somebody kind of pull you aside and say something, or did it just kind of dawn on no. you? And that, it wasn't, it wasn't a overnight thing. It was a gradual thing sure, that sure. had built up. And, um, luckily Chris is, like I said, he's a constant learner and a continual improver. So at the time he had a business coach that would come in once a week. His name is, uh, Kier McLaren. Mm-hmm. And he coached me and Greg, another creative director here. We're about the same age. We came in about the same time, but we were both very young. So he was coaching us. And Chris was teaching us his process. So Chris, being an educator, had, had been doing this already for, for 15 years by the time I joined the company. He was so generous about teaching me like, oh, hey, I sat on this call with you and I see you made these mistakes, this, this, and this. And I see you're talking to this designer all the time, but you know, like what, you know, how, you're communicating it in the wrong way. You need to communicate it this way, this way, and this way. So eventually over time, through many, many iterations of coaching with Kier and uh, guidance from Chris and the other senior directors that were here at the time, I was able to develop communication skills that were much, much clearer so that I can communicate to my team what the goal of the project is, Mm -hmm. what the parameters uh, for them to work within, and what my expectations were at the end of any given period. And, And then by learning that, I could do the same for clients because it's the same. For me as a creative director, I'm really the conduit, the translator between client and my team. So I take all the stuff that a client is hoping to accomplish, I package that up, I translate that and synthesize that into action items for my team to execute. And then so I could pass that back along to client and show show them the, the work. It's like, here's the work and here's how it solved your goals within these parameters. So eventually I got there. It took many years to do that. Though. <laughs> sure, I can imagine. It. Well, and it's I'm sure it's a continuous process too, that you're trying to constantly improve on how you communicate with both sides of the Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And and I've found out uh, through the years, just by example of Chris, the fastest way to learn something is by applying it and teaching it to somebody else. Okay. So 
because of that, that's the fastest way to learn. So once I learn something, I try and teach that to the people that uh, work underneath me, you know. So if I learn how to uh, communicate better, I, I show them and I'm very transparent. Like, well, here's what I'm doing and why. And so I'm applying the knowledge that I learned right away and I'm able to absorb and retain that information very, very quickly. And uh, because I've picked up that habit, I feel like I'm a much faster learner now and I'm absorbing information much better than I was in the past where I was just kind of uh, feeling things out. You know, now I feel like I have a pretty clear process of I don't know something. Here's what I need to learn. Here's how I apply it. And then here's how I improve on that. So like I have developed this process of learning, applying and just making good iterations on my own process. Mm -hmm. Are there are there things that you see in other people that may be under you that you take a bit I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this because I, I, I think at least for me the mentor mentee relationship when I've mentored someone I learn almost mm -hmm. as much from them Absolutely. as they learn from me so are there things with people under you that you're learning from them that that help you with that sort of stuff yeah Oh yeah, absolutely. Like whenever we have somebody new uh, in the office, or even if they're they're not new, um, I'm constantly learning stuff. So whenever we pick up a, a designer here and they're straight out of school, they have all the fresh new stuff, like all the new techniques. <laughs> uh, all, they know all the new plugins, uh, like all the new effects for all the programs, and they teach me constantly on those things on the technical end. Sure. So, okay. Well, now I could get faster on that. Um, the other parts that they teach me is. Whenever they um, don't know how to do something and I know how to do it, what it forces me to do is look at my own process and figure out how can I communicate this? How can I break down my process so I could teach that to them step by step? So in order, by going through that process, by teaching somebody else and, and fully understanding my own processes, I feel like I master that process. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's for everything that I've, I've done here. So it's like, whether that's how to communicate to a client, how to design a frame, how to use typography in effective ways, all of those things, all the tricks that I've learned because somebody has asked me beneath me, uh, or like a, as, as a, as a mentor of mine, they, they ask, or sorry, as a mentee of mine, if they ask something in particular, when I have those moments where I'm internalizing that and processing that and then teaching it to them, I, I, I feel like I master that skill where before it was just second nature and I, I knew I had it in me and I would do it, but I didn't know why or how I got there. <laughs> gotcha. In turn, does that make your role at the future easier? 100%, 100%. So at the future, um, just to give a little context, we have, it's, it's a video channel mostly, mm -hmm. but we create uh, free educational videos on YouTube weekly. Uh, we also uh, have video courses. We sell kits. All of it in the, uh, all of it to help creatives level up. Whether that's um, improve their business, their business practices, their processes, um, or their hard skills, their technical skills. So we cover the the gamut of all of those things. So because I've already gone through a couple of years of being a creative director and teaching interns and designers and young animators, I had become a teacher myself, and I didn't realize that. Because I was able to do that, uh, I was able to communicate that to our growing audience over the years at the future, mm. who are all so young. 
So because I had already mastered these skills and these processes, it was very easy for me to communicate and talk about them and teach that to a much larger audience. Gotcha. When, when for, for people who aren't familiar with what you do at the future, because, mm-hmm. you know, it, we, were, we were talking off air, it gets a little confusing because Blind and the Future are two separate companies. So let, let's go, let's, let's back up a little bit and give a little context there that, that Blind yeah. and the Future are two separate companies and you're, you're yes. basically working two full-time jobs to keep, Pretty up, much. To keep it, up with everything. But, yeah. but how does your role at Blind differ from your role at the Future? Right. So at Blind, uh, we're a brand strategy design consultancy. And basically, we work with clients. Uh, so we're a, a service company. We help clients achieve their uh, business, branding, and marketing goals. So whether that's uh, a video or a brand identity mm-hmm. or a website or all kinds of things, anything to help them uh, accomplish their business goals, that's what we service them and help them to do. So sure. there's a lot of... Um, uh, client management there and uh, the team here at Blind helps uh, create all the elements that uh, service those clients. On the other side, which is still in the same exact building and pretty <laughs> same much office. the same exact <laughs> people, same, commu- same office, same, computer. same people. <laughs> exactly. On the future, uh, we're not servicing any clients. It's an education company mm-hmm. and it's a content company. So what we do uh, constantly every week as we produce contents, whether those are video, podcast, articles, uh, we share the things that we've learned over the years, the things that we've mastered, as well as um, audience pain points. So what we do, and Chris is the, uh, he's kind of the head of all of this, but he's taught all of us and we're now doing this um, as content creators for the channel as well, is we produce content mm-hmm. and then we listen to the audience. The audience will usually respond to a piece of content. It's like, oh, that's great, but how do you do this? Like, what do you do when a client is going out of scope and they're asking for more changes? Uh, what do you do when a client just is looking for the uh, cheapest bid and they're trying to get you at the lowest cost possible? Ron. Or what do you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like all of these things, th- these are all pain points that the global economy, the global market of creatives, designers, animators, everybody is facing these and we take it for granted uh, that we already know how to do these things. And so just like me teaching uh, an intern or a young designer here, we hear the pain point, we internalize that like, oh, well, you know, this is how you deal with a client that's very challenging to deal with. Here's how you walk them through the process. Here's how you onboard and sell a client. Here's how you sell your idea. So all these things that we've just been doing on the service side at Blind is now something that we teach and share freely on the future side. Gotcha. But along with that, you, so let me, let me back up yet again with that. Yeah. How does, what, what is your role directly at the future? Uh, at the future, I'm, uh, I guess <laughs> we wear a lot of hats there. Sure. The future is, re- is really a startup. It's, it's a pretty young company. We're about three years old now. For me, I mostly create content. Mm-hmm. So I will create video content. I manage some of our social accounts, primarily the Instagram account. So I, anything you see posted there is probably from me. Well, you can't see anything posted on Instagram anymore. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So we're dealing with that. Um, so there's that. And then, um, like I said, we wear a lot of hats. So sometimes I'll go speak at events. Uh, sometimes I'll uh, 
work on bringing in interesting guests onto our show. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a lot of that is split up between me, Ben, Greg, Chris, and a lot of the future staff here. So it's all divided up. I have my hands in so many things and I'm juggling so many things, but primarily what it is is content creation and some management of the social platforms. Gotcha. So with that, you also... You also do mentoring on top of all of that within the future. And, and, and that's mm -hmm. one of the services that the future offers is they offer one-on-one -on -one mentoring through the membership mm -hmm. groups. How, mm -hmm. how does mentoring in that context differ from, you know, mentoring someone one-on-one -on -one that you, you, you have direct, they're right in front of you. You've got them directly. Right. You can, you know, Point and show them what to do. If 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 you're having a hard time communicating something, you know you you can sit down on the computer and say, you know this this and this or or, or whatever. How yeah. how does that process work? Because yeah, so I mean the difference between mentoring somebody in person versus mentoring somebody online. Uh, usually, a lot of the online mentoring, which there is like paid versions of that, right? We have a, a pro group, which is just a collective of mostly small business owners who are dealing with business challenges mm -hmm. and learning how to uh, work with clients better and make more money. Like those are their biggest goals. So from there, it's, it's nice because we just have group conversations there. And once I teach one person something or Chris teaches one person something, that person goes and teach somebody else in the group who follows up with the same question when, you know, you have somebody younger or new joins the group. So sure. it's this interesting community that builds up. So like it's, it's almost self-sustaining to a point. Once you teach uh, somebody how to fish, they can teach three other people how to fish. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and everybody gets to eat. So that's, that's one thing as, as far as uh, the other types of mentorship I do, like people are constantly DMing us, messaging us, either that's on YouTube as comments or or on Instagram or Facebook. And me, Chris, Ben, and some of the other people here, we all respond. Again, for me, it's like a lot of the Instagram is something that I handle, which our handle is at the future is here, just in case you wanted to know. But people DM us all the time. And what they'll do is they'll message me and say, hey, you know, I'm dealing with this. How do I deal with that? And the way I deal with, for me, the way I respond, it's like, Hey, that's, that's, that's cool. I want to help you ask the question in the clearest, most concise way. I, I only have time to answer something very concise. I can't listen to your entire, uh, life story. Sure. It just like, just ask the question. What's the question? What is it? What, give me the context. What, what is it that you need to know? Cause I could give you very clear information if you ask the question clearly. So that's a lot of my responses whenever somebody reaches out that's anonymous mm -hmm. And they're looking for for quick advice. So I just I kind of force them and train them to ask a clearer question, so that I could give them a nice bite sized thorough, and impactful answer. So I've gotten a lot better at that because I see the same questions pop up. So I already know the answer. I just need to hear like what is the direct question because I could I could give you the the nugget that you need to know to to move on from here. I'm curious about that because with responding in that way, you're having to do it written versus where mm -hmm. you could do it verbal. And I know for me, I'm a horrible written communicator. Like I just, <laughs> I can't write worth a crap, you know, aside from the fact that I abuse commas, like, you know, like it's like, <laughs> you it's, and me are the same. like it's 50 shades of gray, but <laughs> um, I just, right. 
me being able to get my thoughts out in a written format, I stink it. I've always been bad at it. It's never, <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's never something I've ever been able to get comfortable with. Right. Obviously, um, face to face or voice communication is is nicer because you get to have. Uh, you get to see all the nuances of the communication, right? Your body language, you get to elaborate on ideas in real time and react to each other. And it's more interactive. It's a lot easier to get to the point. I think with writing for me, my writing is very dry. Mm -hmm. Like I don't fluff anything up. And I spend a lot of time thinking about my response before I just say anything. Like if you hear me spot, uh, speak right now, like we're having a conversation, I'm probably saying twice as much or three times as much as I would if this was an email interview. Sure. In an email interview, I would be very dry. It's like, here's the answer. And that's it. Like I could be very straightforward like that. So I, I think, uh, and I think I, I get a lot of this from Chris and just a lot of mental prep on, on MySpace. When I see somebody uh, ask a question, you know, I try to figure out why are they asking this question? What is it that they're really trying to ask me mm -hmm. and what is the pain point that they're facing so that I can answer them in the clearest, most concise way and just boil it down. Let me just get to the point. I'm not going to fluff around and uh, assume anything. I'm just going to say directly what it is that they need to hear or what I think they need to hear. Sure. Yeah. When, when you do that, one of those, one of those challenges that you come across with is it's hard to convey tone. Mm. How, how mm -hmm. are you able to manage that? With, because if you're very dry people mm -hmm. and, and, and write and it, while it may be clear and concise to you and yeah, people also have a tendency to put their own feelings into the way that they read something. Right. How do how, yeah, how, how do, do you try to balance how, that? I mean, there's only so much yeah. you can do. I understand that. <laughs> of course, of course. I, I think the cool thing, and this is part of our brand at the future, Chris is pretty much the face of the future. He does 90% mm -hmm. of the content and he, he you see him, he's the most visible. Chris's personality is very brash, very direct, but very fun and engaging. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, that's our brand because it's absorbed from him. So when people come to us, they already know us from the channel and the content that we produce. They expect the direct brush style. Okay. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's kind of expected. They don't expect any fluff. Uh, they just expect like, just give me the answer. So, so, so since Chris is the face of things and has kind of paved the way in the style yes. in which he speaks and communicates. Yes. So, yeah. So yeah, exactly. So people expect that from us. Like they want, they know they're going to get a direct and sometimes it can be a harsh truth or harsh advice, but you know, it's never, none of it is ever mean spirited sure. ever. Except for you, know, you like, Kyle. It's always, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Chris is like, he's always constructive, you know, he'll tease people and, and make fun of it in a, in a playful mm -hmm. way, but the, his heart is always in the right place, which is, I just want to help as many people as I can. And I, I, want to cut through the crap i don't want to give you any fluff let me just give you some real advice right now sure yeah no i i mean it's, i had him on the podcast and i talked to him and he's yeah he he's dry but he's funny and he's there is a warmth there so he even in his brashness he doesn't come across as a dick that's right that's right <laughs> some people some people still think he's he's a, yeah, an a-hole yeah. but 
Yeah. I mean, once they get to know them, then they, they change their mind. Sometimes. Not everybody's <laughs> going to like everybody. So you, you got to, you right. got to deal you with just, that. You got to be yourself. Yeah. Sure. So with, with your role at the future, what are some things that you would like to do um, that maybe you're not doing as much of right now? Yeah. I mean, for me, I think one thing that I've always gotten a kick out of is meeting people in real life. And I've had the fortune of flying out to different parts of the world and the country to speak and meet different creative communities. So for, you know, last year and the year before, I went to the Philippines twice. I went to Singapore and I was able to share my story, share my knowledge, teach some classes and workshops and meet amazing creatives. Like it's, it's nice to see this massive global community of people who are living very different lifestyles, come from different walks of life, and they are all so passionate, maybe even more so than some of the people that I know here. So when I see those people who you know, are making a fraction of what we make here and they work twice as hard, that just gives me more drive and more passion to want to give more of myself out there. So I love meeting the other communities and I want to be able to give more to those people. And it's been something that's been... Uh, a passion that's emerged inside of me that I didn't realize I had before. This doesn't sound very introverted to me. <laughs> you know, it's it's something, it's it's weird. Chris claims that he's an introvert as well. Do you believe that? Actually, having talked to Chris, I can see that. Yes. Uh, I For me, people would categorize me as, as fairly friendly and warm in the way that I talk. Mm. And I smile a lot. So I don't know. Those are just habits. Those are things that are, are part of me. Uh, but I, I, you know, I've been classically an introvert. Like if I go to a party where I don't really know anyone, like I'll be the wallflower. Mm-hmm. But if I go with a two or three people that make me feel comfortable and make me feel like I'm in my element, then I'll be very confident and more extroverted in that sense. So it's just being around the right people, being in, in the right uh, kind of frame of mind. Those are things that I'm I'm kind of blossoming, blossoming and, and kind of opening up to. So I'm becoming less introverted, but at my core, I'm still fairly introverted. Are are you one of those where you're you're good one on one, but after you've been at a party, you need some alone time to recharge? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like I can't. I, I know some people who could just talk all night to 500 different people, and I just I can't do that. I don't have the energy yeah, for me that. Either. And it's it's like I, I like to have if I could just connect with one person at uh, like a networking event or party, like that's enough for me. I'd rather just sit down and have a nice rich, meaningful conversation with somebody rather than try and bounce around. Like I, I can't do that. It's, it's very difficult for me. That, I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I can do social butterfly if I have to, but it's definitely mm-hmm. not my comfort zone. I would much rather, you know, have a nice, meaningful conversation with one or two people and, and connect that mm-hmm. way than. Yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 it's much nicer that way, I, I think. And I feel like you, develop deeper bonds that way. And usually those people that I end up, you know, sitting down with at these random events, uh, you know, we, we end up being lifelong friends or longtime friends. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's quite nice to develop these type of relationships. Cool. When, when, with, with the future as a whole, what are you guys trying to do to grow things? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but the future actually started out as the school and then kind of morphed mm-hmm. into the future within the past 
really about year and a half, two years. Is that about right? Yeah, two years now we've rebranded as the future. Um, So yeah, where we're going, before when we started as the school, it was Chris and and Jose. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, they were making video content to teach uh, a lot of the principles around a product that they were selling, which at the time it was called Core, Mm -hmm. which is just a strategic facilitation um, for clients. So it's like a framework that you could apply to um, run strategy sessions mm-hmm. or discovery sessions and pull the information you need out from any type of client. So they were creating a lot of content around that. Eventually, once Chris became less of an introvert and got very comfortable <laughs> in front of camera, he started owning that, like just really like understanding like, oh, you know, I, I can see the audience growing. I can see the things that they're actually valuing. And being an educator himself, he started teaching more things, more of the things that he's known or th- things that he's picking up. So he started teaching more soft skill stuff. He started interviewing very interesting um, uh, different designers and, you know, uh, branding designers and, and business owners. And he just started opening up like he loved. He's always loved being an educator. And now that he had a platform to speak to a much wider audience, mm-hmm. uh, he really opened up. So uh, about two years ago, I think, uh, you know, Chris ended up just going off on his own. We rebranded all the video content to be the future, mm-hmm. which he runs now uh, with the rest of us here. And uh, the future of the future <laughs> is <laughs> the future really, with really an e. <laughs> yeah of the future without any is uh, really right now. Some of our primary goals is to grow our audience to a million. Right now, our subscriber uh, subscriber base on. YouTube, I think it's about close to 240,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so our goal is to get that to a million by the end of the year is, is our wow, goal. That's pretty ambitious. So it's, just like, it's very ambitious, but you know, we're, we're seeing huge improvements um, day by day. So the trend is definitely going there. It's very ambitious, but we're, we're trending in the right. Well, way. after people listen to you on here, you'll have picked up at least five more people. hey an uptick is an uptick we will take it (laughs) if it requires all this hand-to-hand combat on cross uh promotions like uh, we will do it you know we 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 really want to earn every subscriber we want to make sure that whoever subscribes to us they do at the end of the day get value we're not trying to do any crazy stunts so that we can get some crazy viral video just to have a million followers like we want to make sure that we're delivering value with every piece of content that we're creating. So that's that's a big goal right now is just growth. And then the other part of it is becoming more of a self-sustaining business cuz the other part of um the future is that we are selling products, we're selling kits, we're selling uh merchandise, uh we're selling video courses mm-hmm. and that's makes up probably about 2-3% of the total content that we we make. So most of it is free. And the rest of it is behind a paywall. And what that allows us to do is to grow the company. So as we're growing our subscriber base and we're increasing in revenue month over month, uh, we're able to hire more people to make more content, to make more kits, to to really blow up and expand our reach. So for us, it's it's all about growth. And that's both on the audience and revenue side of things so that it becomes a much, much bigger company that eventually, you know, will be able to just be self-sustaining and won't need the the crux of, or the crutch of blind supporting it. Because mm-hmm. right now those two things are, are very intertwined. Gotcha. 
So since you're doing most of the, uh, well, not most of the, but a lot of the content creation um, mm -hmm. and, and overseeing that, what are some of the things that you've seen a need for um, to be created? Uh, well, that's a good question. Right now, I mean, a big reoccurring thing is um, how to deal with clients. And specifically, what I'm working on right now, I'm working on a video course with Chris, is how do you deal with sales objections? So if you're in this onboarding process where the client uh, has a project in mind that they would like you to bid out, how do you deal with their objections so that you close the sale? Because I think that's the biggest problem that most creatives face is that they know how to do the work, they don't know how to sell the work. They don't know how to get and acquire and close the clients. That, you, that would be me. You don't me. go to school for that. I yeah. don't know why I raised my hand. You're the only one who can see it. <laughs> I can see it. He's raising his hand. <laughs> Just for everyone at home, he's raising his hand. So that that's a huge need. It's reoccurring. So we're currently, me and Chris are working on a course to deal with the most common objections, which is you're too expensive. What am I going to get for this? Like, why do you cost so much relative to the two other people that I bid out? Um, you're not in my time zone. You're not in my country. Like all these issues that we've seen throughout the years, or I don't see this in your portfolio. How can I trust you to do the work? Uh, all of these objections that we've kind of accumulated and dealt with over the years, we're trying to put that into a video, which is going to be a lot of role play, a lot of mindset, a lot of examples to show people that, there are ways to deal with this. You don't have to always bend over and say yes to everything the client demands, but there are ways to not fight back, but... Oh, sorry. <laughs> my water bottle. I dropped it. I, I was getting too excited. I'm like swinging my arms everywhere. Uh, it, it's not about fighting the client. There's ways but, to say no um, without saying no. Exactly. There's ways to be firm and to... Um, stand up for what you're worth and you know what you're really valued at and and not to give in and not to give away all of your services for free or cheap you know like I, I feel like the global market especially the young younger market is is suffering and that's a huge pain mm -hmm. point that they have so these are things that again we've had to deal with and I feel like we've mastered quite a bit of it over the years so now we want to put that out there for everyone to learn and, and to grow and overcome those things so that we could lift the overall creative community and everyone can get paid what they're worth. Gotcha. What kind of, kind of getting close to our time here. So wrapping up, yeah. what's something that you have coming up in the near future that you can talk about that um, really excites you? Um, I'm going to be uh speaking in march at the fox ad river club so uh, i'm pretty excited about that it's going to be my first time over there uh speaking with them uh so i get to just share my message with another creative audience mm -hmm. over there and and meet some new people so i'm highly uh excited for that and then uh this other thing this course that me and chris are working on very excited about that as well. So it's just like, I feel so much more in the groove this year, 2018. I feel like 2017 was a good growth year mm -hmm. for us as a channel and me personally, just getting very comfortable about content creation and ramping up. Now I feel like I'm fully in the groove and I'm just jamming out and, and making stuff and, and I'm loving it. Awesome. Matthew, um, before I let you go, where can people find you online? Um, you can see uh, our company's work, uh, blind.com. So that's our service company. 
Uh, you could look us up for the future at uh, thefuture.com. And that's the future without an E at the end. Uh, you can find my personal work, my portfolio, and more about me at matthewincina.com. And um, you can find me online at Matthew Encina. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, at Matthew All those fun places. All those fun cool. places. Cool, and we'll link to this stuff in the show notes too so people can find it. Perfect. Perfect. Great. Matthew, thank you so much for taking the uh, time to chat with me tonight and for dealing with the technical glitches that we've had. <laughs> thank you for putting up with me and uh, thank you for letting me do a take two with you. <laughs> it was so much fun to be here. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, likewise. All right, go out and hug some necks. <laughs> All right. Thanks. You can find out more about Matthew on Twitter at Matthew Encina. And be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more ways to keep up with him. You can keep up with the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at Creative SO Pod. And follow Creative South on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Creative South GA or over at CreativeSouth.com. And I'm at Jay Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram. Jack Prince is giving Creative South podcast listeners 15% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code PRINCESOUTH18 at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. Astute Graphics currently have 25% off the full Elite Bundle, saving you over $200. Check out www.astutegraphics.com. For a limited time, new Skillshare customers can get their first three months for just 99 cents to get unlimited access to thousands of classes when you sign up at Skillshare.com using promo code CREATIVESOUTH. What are you waiting for? Start learning today. And remember, if you like the show, help support us over at Patreon.com slash CREATIVESOUTH. And if you like the Creative South podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. Rate us and leave a review. This helps more people find the podcast and allows us to keep getting awesome guests. Now go out and hug some necks.